I'm going to be 73 later this month. Now, to many people, that may not be a, a big accomplishment, but to me, I never thought I would see that number. Uh, and I found out just a few days ago that one of my classmates passed away. Of course, he was not the first. There was only 50 in my class, but it keeps getting smaller. Yeah, I keep in touch with a few, five or six of them on Facebook, but, you know, I'm getting up there. Now, the global life expectancy for women is 75, for men is 70. The United States, we do better, okay? For the women is 80, and for men is 77. So, I've got a few more years, I guess, but my goal is 83. We don't subscribe to a local paper, so I have to look online at the obituaries, <clears throat> and I see that many my age and younger are dying. And some of you will say, well, that's because of COVID. And it may be possibly to some extent, but I'm not going to go in that discussion with you. I looked up life and the definition, and this is what I found. It says, the condition that distinguishes animals and plants from inorganic matter, including the capacity for growth, reproduction, functional activity, and continual change preceding death, existence. And then it says the existence of an individual human being or animal, person, human being, individual, mortal, soul, creature. And another definition was it's the period between birth and death of a living thing, especially a human. And the common thread was in these definitions was existence. Many people do just that. They exist for 20 years, 50 years, 90 years or more. Well, praise God, we've been called to do more than simply exist. We're called to make a difference, to, to serve, to worship. And so maybe we need to ask ourselves, you know, well, how are we doing? So let's take some time and pray. Father, we just give you thanks and praise for giving us life. And I think myself included uh, sometimes take it too lightly that we don't think that much about our lives until we hear about death. And especially someone close to us or someone close to us in age, uh, when they pass away, we think about our lives maybe a little bit more. But Father, help us every day to give you thanks for the life that we have, that when we wake up in the morning that you've given us one more day of life. And Lord, let us use that for you uh, in whatever ways we can. Uh, reading and studying your word, uh, praying for uh, the needs of others and uh, the needs around the world as are great right now. And uh, Lord, that we can draw ourselves closer to you and we can find the ways that you want us to serve and realize that worship isn't just something that we do on Sunday morning for an hour, that we need to be in an attitude of worship all the time. So, Father, as we open your word, Lord, let us see what you've got for us and help us to maybe better understand. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, this message is going to be the start of a series. Now, I don't do a lot of series. Uh, and I'm sure the passage that I'm going to use is going to be familiar to probably most everybody that's going to listen. But may have heard one or two or maybe several messages on this scripture. But you're about to hear another. Okay, uh, not so much today, but as I get further into the series. So hearing these messages may remind you of something that you've heard in the past, or it may teach you something new, or you may come away scratching your head, wondering where I got that from. So I want to start with a few verses before we get into the what's more familiar. And so what am I talking about? The armor of God. Okay. Now, in Ephesians 5, in the beginning of chapter 6, Paul is talking about how we are to live as Christians. Okay. The relationship between husband and wife, parent and child, slaves and masters. And then we, we get into Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Uh, verses 13 to 17 being the most well-known. But I'm going to start before those very familiar verses with uh, Ephesians 6.10. And this is what Paul writes. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, so Paul is reminding the Ephesians that they're not alone in life. That... They may sometimes feel that way. You know, husbands and wives and their relationship, uh, they may feel like they're fighting a, a one-man battle. Uh, parent and child, uh, I mean, and that goes both ways. Um, you know, as you're parenting toddlers or infants, you know, your their whole life, you know, they depend on you for everything. And then as your children grow, uh, you know, they and they get into the teen years and they, they think that they don't depend on you for anything, uh, but they need to look around and see that that's totally untrue. But then, you know, as your children grow, you know, in that relationship, it changes again as they become adults, young adults, and uh you're no longer so much that parent-child as you are friends and trying to, to help each other. And I see it now as, like I said, I'm going to be 73, and the, our children's concern about myself and my wife and, you know, wanting to know, you know, well, what's going to happen if something happens at some time. Uh, so that's certainly... a a concern, but you know, in a husband and wife relationship, <coughs> you know, it could be a struggling marriage. You know, maybe there's uh, infidelity, uh, laziness, uh, lying. You know, cheating in other ways, and and also we need to rely on the Lord's mighty strength that it talks about in that verse, and not our wimpy strength 
that really amounts to nothing if we just rely on ourselves. <clears throat> you know, so for many of us, that's why the battle is so fierce and so long, because we're just fighting on our own and trying to accomplish what needs to be accomplished by ourselves when the Lord is saying, I'm right here, you know, just reach out, you know, I want to help. And we go to the Lord as the last resort, rather than the place where we start in any battle or in any decision. Well, in verse 11, Paul tells us what we need to do when we're going to battle. It's, now, sometimes we see that battle coming, and other times, you know, we're blindsided. It just comes out of nowhere. But even in those instances, we can get prepared as the battle rages. Because in verse 11, Paul says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, some people that have been Christians for a long time don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear about the devil or Satan or Lucifer or any of the other 30 or so names that, that Satan has given throughout the Bible. And if you start to talk about Satan, they're going to say, well, you know, we, we don't need to go there. And, you know, I think maybe now more than ever we need to go there. So maybe the first thing we need to do is realize that Satan exists and know what Paul is talking about in the next verse, verse 12, where it says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. Now, that's a verse that some of those Christians might not want to hear, you know, because they'll think, you know, our struggles is against our boss or is against our spouse or against our child or whatever. But no, that's not where it begins. So Paul starts out letting believers know that they're not fighting men, they're not fighting people, that their battle may be with a person, but there's more to it than that. That that person or persons is raging against you for a reason that's prompted by more. And Paul goes on to let us know exactly who it is that we're dealing with. So let's look at the four things that Paul mentions. Rulers, authorities, powers of this world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, rulers. The Greek there is arche, which means a magistrate, a principality, a power, a ruler. Obviously, that someone that's in charge or thinks that they're in charge. Okay, so that's not who it is. Okay, we need to, to realize that, that it's not against the rulers. It's not against those that are in charge at whatever level that it may be. And the next thing he talks about is the authorities, uh, exousia, which means authority or power or influence or force 
Okay, now we're familiar with people of influence, you know, whether it's in your job, uh, people that are, you know, in management, uh, people that, you know, help to make the decisions in the job that you work at. Uh, we're familiar with people of influence in politics, uh, people that are, are there and are uh, making decisions that can affect the lives of hundreds or thousands or millions of people. Uh, we're familiar with people of influence, unfortunately, from Hollywood or athletes, uh, people that think that they have influence anyways and that their opinions are going to make a, a big difference in the world. But, uh, you know, we we hear that and we see it, and we know that there's a lot of people that are influenced by those people as well. But our battle really is against those that are fighting in a different way. Okay, it says the powers of this world. Okay, now the Greek there, I'm not going to try and attempt. Okay, but the word that's used here, this is the only time that this word is used uh, throughout the scriptures. But it means a world ruler or epithet of Satan. And so what it's telling us is that Satan rules this world. Whether you like it or not, he's the ruler of this world. Whether you believe it or not, he is the one that rules this world. So the, the epithet of Satan means a characterization or an identification. Okay, It's telling us who Satan is. Uh, then the next thing that Paul talks about is the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, the Greek there is poneria uh, for evil, which means depravity, plots, sins. The, the heavenly realms is talking about the celestial, the high, the heavenly. So if you put all this together, it says we're dealing with a powerful force with the authority to do as he wishes in this world. Okay, that's who we're dealing with. And that's why we need to remember verse 10, where it says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, you could be a champion in martial arts. You could be able to bench press hundreds of pounds with ease. You may be capable of climbing Mount Everest or run the Ironman. You may have doctorates in four or five different areas and speak six, eight, ten different languages fluently. You may have billions and billions of dollars. You may own mansions and yachts and companies and you know, properties. You may be a political powerhouse, whether it's in your city or the state or the country. But when it comes to fighting Satan on his turf, you need the Lord. Okay? Don't fool yourself. Okay? You're going to lose. You're going to lose big time. There's a song by Michael W. Smith. It's called Surrounded. 
or fight my battles. And I want to share just a, a portion of it with you. This is that's how we fight our battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Okay, meaning the Lord. So I want to share with you something from Second Kings chapter 6. Okay, Elisha has been instructing the, the king of Israel what to do because our means are going to be attacking him. And it doesn't look real good for Israel. So let me start in Second uh, Kings 6 verse 10. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, meaning Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. This enraged the king of Arman, or excuse me, Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Okay, what he's meaning is Elisha is able to prophesy everything that the king is doing and, and thinking. So the king says, go and find where he is so I can send men and capture him. The report came back that he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the enemy. Okay, I mean, death was just outside the door. The king of Aram said, I want you to go and capture him. No, he wanted him dead, not alive. Okay, that was the reason that he sent horses and chariots and a strong force, not to just bring one man back. Now, when the servant came in and told Elisha about the fact that they were surrounded, Elisha could have said, oh, no, we're doomed, you know, just prepare to die, you know, this is the end. And, or he could have denied that there was trouble, and he could have said, you're seeing things, you know, there's no army out there, come on. But he knew the Lord was prepared to help him, because the Lord equals victory. Verse 18 tells us this, as an enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah asked. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord will strike your enemy with blindness or anything like that. 
but he'll never leave you. Okay, Elisha knew that the Lord was with him and that the Lord was going to, you know, protect him. Even though he was surrounded by the enemy, he was surrounded by the Lord, which is more important. He knew that the Lord would never leave him, would never forsake him. And he's going to help you overcome whatever it is that you're facing. Well, how do we get surrounded by Satan? Well, the number one reason is I think we fail to admit that he even exists. Because if you think your enemy doesn't exist, you're going to get defeated every time. Just like Elisha, if he would have said, no, there's no enemy out there. You know, you're just seeing things. It wouldn't have been long and they would have been crushed. Elisha would have been dead. Another way that we can end up surrounded by Satan is thinking that we can defeat him by our own power. Now, Elisha could have said to his servant, hey, we can fight our way out. You know, right, just the two of them and all this army that's out there. Okay, now, you're probably never going to be surrounded by armies and chariots and maybe tanks, whatever. But we can sometimes feel like we're fenced in by our enemy. And then we think we will come up with a solution to win all by ourselves. This usually is not the best strategy. Okay, the, the third way that we can end up being surrounded by Satan is that you think that you're in control. Okay, you, you cheat on your spouse and, you know, that's the first time and you think, oh, you know, you know I really shouldn't have done that. But then you think, oh, I didn't get caught. You know, maybe I, maybe I can do this again. And you do it again and again and again. Maybe you're a person that that has control over the the funds, you know, whether it's of a small business or a large corporation or a nonprofit of some kind. And, you know, you've got some debts that you don't see how you're ever going to pay them off. And you think, well, you know, I can show this in the books and I can do that and, and all. And so you extort a, a small amount of money and you kind of wait you know, for a week and a month and, you know, the monthly reports come out and nobody detects it. And so you think, oh, you know, I got my debts all paid off. Now I can, you know, buy this or I can go there. And so you take a little bit more. Or maybe, you know, you go to a party with uh, some of your friends and, you know, somebody offers you a drug of some kind. And, you know, you're really thinking, oh, I really shouldn't do this. But then you think, well, you know, just this one time. And so you do. And so, you know, nobody really seems to notice. And you think, well, that doesn't really affect me, right? And so you try more and you try different. Because you think, I can stop this at any time, whether it's cheating on your spouse or extorting money or using a drug of some kind or anything else that you want to put in there. You think, I can stop this whenever I want to. I'm, I'm in control here, you know. And you think, I don't need the Lord. You know, the Lord, you know, he, he isn't going to be concerned about this. And, and since I've got it all under control, I, I really don't need the Lord to 
intervene here for me. Well, who do you think is making you feel this way? Listen to Jesus in John 8. He was being confronted by some of the Jewish leaders. And this is what he says in verse 8, 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a master at lying because he makes it sound so much like the truth. He makes it sound so convincing and you know you think oh man i can do this and he starts out slowly with small insignificant things because he doesn't want to scare you away and doesn't want you to become aware of the fact that he's in control but as things continue to to go on he's got you surrounded so, what are we to do? Well, one of the things I'll get to in the next message, but there's more that we can do. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who people were saying that he is, and they said, well, you know, some say that you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Well, then in verse 15, Jesus asks, he says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter, who sometimes is way off base and says some things that, you know, are maybe not very constructive. In verse 16, he hits it right on the head. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So the conversation goes on like this, in verses 17 through 19. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Judah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my, by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, that passage can sometimes be misread or misused, unfortunately. And one thing to note that isn't relative to this message, but may have you asking some questions, is I will give you the kingdom or I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that, that happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on the believers. But my point in using this passage and this message is when Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And some people might say, I just, I don't get that. You know, what's that all about? Well, I'll give you my understanding of this part of verse 19. Uh, which we find Jesus saying again in Matthew 18, 18. But this is my understanding. I can pray that God will protect someone from cancer. Asking God to 
bind that cancer and to keep it from my friend. Or I can ask God to loose a spirit of peace in a troubled marriage. And these things, if they're within God's will, they will be accomplished, whether I'm binding the cancer or whether I'm loosing a spirit of peace. If it's in God's will, it's going to happen. Now, I believe we often pray wimpy, wimpy prayers. That does not coincide with Hebrews 4, beginning in 14. The writer says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive grace and find a grace, excuse me, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay, the Greek for confidence is also translated boldness or bluntness or frankness. Okay, so let us approach the throne of God with confidence. Let us approach his throne with boldness or bluntness. Okay, no more wimpy prayers. Confidence and boldness. Because we're children of the Most High God, the creator of the universe. And, you know, maybe we need to act like it. So as we look forward to, to the next message, we're going to move on. And we're going to start to put on that armor that Paul talked about earlier in this passage. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks and praise for the God that you are. You are the God that never leaves us. You're the God that protects us. You're the God that is there for us when we find ourselves surrounded. <clears throat> and you're ready, willing, and able to help us like no one else can and like we cannot do ourselves. So, Father, we praise you for that. So, Lord, help us to remember that that you're there and we just need to call out and that you'll protect us in the ways that we need to be, uh, whatever that situation requires. But, Father, if there's someone that's listening that has never uh, experienced a relationship with you, Lord, I just pray that today will be the day that they make that commitment, that they decide that they need you as the center of their lives, and that sin has been leading them around, and Satan has them surrounded in, uh, in so many parts of their lives, and that it doesn't need to be that way. So, Father, help them to pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. There is only one Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for my sin and rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and help me to be the child that you raised me up to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.